Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. For any Red Wings fans who are uh, missing Mark Stahl, just know that he's doing real well. First pairing, just like he was in Detroit <laughs> at points, over in Florida. So a team that was considered a cup contender just last season and maybe even th- this season now has Mark Stahl on their top pairing uh, opposite Gustav Forsling at Florida defense, man. Woof. They went from cup contender to cup favorite. <laughs> because of Mark Stahl. Mark Stahl. Never mind the highlight that went around of Pasternak putting him on seven posters at once. That was Mark Stahl doing him a favor because he knows Pasternak has a contract coming up. All-around good guy, Mark Stahl. That's great for every other team in the Atlantic. Man, Florida, that's rough. The The Ekblad injury is, is pretty brutal. That's You can set your watch to it. It's unfortunate because the guy was really finding his, his groove and was... Uh, his game was really rounding out to the point where people were calling him at one point last season one of the best defenders in the division, if not the conference. And yeah, just another long-term injury. So Florida has some work to do. And uh, I never begrudge a team for going for it, especially in the position that they were in, but they're going to have to do some maneuvering now. Anyhow, over to the Red Wings, where things are a little bit more positive. This is a thing. Like Florida's dealing with this. Toronto is like, has a the most stacked roster you can make in like an NHL video game and it already has an internal strife three games in. And meanwhile, Detroit's just like, hey, we hung in there for overtime against the LA Kings. That's Philly's a- 3-0, then they play Florida tonight. My God, we're in the upside-down world. <laughs> we really are. And I can't believe three games into the season. And we- it also It feels long, but also not long. There's been a lot to talk about in two games, soon to be three games that we're going to talk about. Man, there's been so many storylines. Three games in, we already have a The Shift this year. I can't believe that. Brad, you said it right after Larkin literally saved a point for Detroit. Saved the game in the moment. That, like, if and when Dylan Larkin in his career gets Selkie votes, that will be on the highlight reel. Yeah, this the Selkie shift. The more you watched it, that was a better every loop play. And like Evan said, it's three games in and we already have something like that to talk about. I'm glad I'm not Victor Arvidsson. The more I've watched that clip, the less it makes sense. He should have just, anyways, we'll get to that. We have a lot to talk about, and that's what we're here for. Folks, welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. I am one of your hosts here to talk to you about all things Red Wings hockey, the world of the NHL, and more. Ryan Hanna. I'm Brad Crisco. And I'm Evan. On this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast, we're going to be taking a look back at the game that the Detroit Red Wings played and eventually lost in overtime to the LA Kings. Uh, the storylines coming from that, obviously Dylan Larkin's phenomenal, heroic play uh, being the highlight there. But also, uh, you know, some nuanced talk about the defense. Um, is Cider trying to do too much? How is Soderblom looking three games in? Uh, Mickey's somewhat horrifying nickname for the, the Redwoods <laughs> line. And more, uh, we'll be talking about the outcomes of the Tyler Bertuzzi injury, how that translated into the lineup, and the opportunity now uh, for Philip Zadina. Uh, there is an update on Jacob Verana that uh, should be addressed. And then we're going to be taking a look at us uh, into Grand Rapids. Simon Edvinson doing well over there. Sebastian Cosa in about 30 minutes from the time of recording right now, 6.30 Eastern on Wednesday night, is uh, going to be making his first AHL start. Uh, and then 
if we're able to, we're going to make it to some NHL stories. The salary cap might be going up even more than anticipated, depending on how revenues go. And we'll be uh, maybe taking a look at Connor Bedard and everything he's been doing. Spoiler, he's phenomenal. And uh, maybe Red Wings fans shouldn't focus too much on him because maybe on the outside looking in based on where he's going to be drafted. 81-0-1-1. How are we even going to have a chance at Bedard? I appreciate the optimism, Brad. New look, Brad. Undefeated in regulation. <laughs> Before that, uh, I do want to tell everyone about Winged Wheel Podcast Night at the LCA. 10 days away. 10 days away. And we have released more tickets for you. We've opened up tickets in the lower bowl uh, as well as the upper bowl. The gondola is completely sold out. Uh, what that is, is a partnered event with the Detroit Red Wings. It's our third time doing it, and it's in benefit of the Jamie Daniels Foundation. A portion of the proceeds sold from every ticket benefits uh, the Jamie Daniels Foundation. It gets you a discounted ticket to the Detroit Red Wings versus Minnesota Wild game on Saturday, October 29th. And it uh, gets you access to the event happening at Hockey Town Cafe to start. At that event, it's going to be a live podcast featuring Ken Daniels and Mickey Redmond. Uh, some other special guests might come through. Uh, there's going to be a meet and greet with us, the host, but more importantly, the special guests. Uh, there's going to be merch. There's going to be giveaways, prizes, things like that. Uh, and happy to announce, yeah, I know a lot of you missed out on those flannels and uh, we may have held a couple back. And let's just say that if you get a ticket to this Winged Wheel podcast night at the LCA, you'll be entered into a draw for one of the special Mickey Redmond uh, Winged Wheel podcast special edition flannels. And if we pass a certain amount of tickets, I think 400 is the benchmark we set, we'll throw another flannel in there. So if you already bought a ticket, you're entered. Every ticket bought is an entry. So if you bought a bunch for your friends, congratulations, that's multiple entries. And uh, we'll be doing that uh, as well as some other prizes in there for anyone who buys tickets. So DetroitRedWings.com slash WWP to get your discounted tickets uh, to the event, the game, and then, of course, the after party happening afterwards. If you've already bought a ticket, check your emails. Soon you will be getting uh, communication from the Red Wings uh, for, with more details sometime this week. Okay. Uh, why don't we open up here with a statement because it's going to be the topic of conversation and it's best to just um, address this head on. Uh, there is a statement put out today uh, by the NHL uh, Public Relations. And it is about Jacob Verana. Obviously, he's been away from the team for personal reasons. I'll read it out. The National Hockey League Players Association and National Hockey League announced today that forward Jacob Verana of the Detroit Red Wings will be unavailable to his club for an indefinite period while he receives care from the Player Assistance Program of the NHL and NHLPA. Under the terms of the joint program, Verana will continue to be paid while receiving treatment. He will return to the club when cleared for on-ice competition by the program administrators. Verona's care will be administered pursuant to the NHL slash NHLPA player assistance program. That statement speaks for itself. Um, I'd like to caution against speculation here. Obviously, these are, uh, it's a very serious topic. And the only thing to do here is to respect Jacob's privacy and hope that he gets uh, the care and help he needs and that we see him uh, whenever it's appropriate. Yep. Okay. Let's chat about the Detroit Red Wings and the game that they played. Uh, it ended up being a 5-4 OT loss to the LA Kings. And this was another good game. That's a measure of where Detroit is really at. LA looked like a, the best team that Detroit has played so far through three games. And I thought it was a really good back and forth that demonstrated how Detroit is different in a positive way this year and how they still have a lot of work to do. Plus, how even with the roster they have, there's still work to be done to settle in 
among themselves. Yeah. Um, like you said, this was the first, I don't want to call it real test because I think New Jersey obviously badly outplayed them, but but the first playoff team that the Red Wings played this year. And surprise, the LA Kings looked like a pro- playoff team. Um, the Red Wings handled it well. I, I would say they played better this game than they did in the New Jersey game, but I would still say LA was slightly better if you took accumulation of the game. But what was different this time around is the Red Wings adjusted. They adapted. They did not have a good first period. And the second and third period were better. They showed good resolve, which, you know, we've seen some scores from last couple seasons. So we know that was not a word in their repertoire before this season. Mm -hmm. So even on a small, from a small angle like that, it was important to see growth. Um, Some of the Red Wings top players plainly had bad games and the Red Wings still got a point out of it. So these are the differences, the very subtle differences that are absolutely critical in noting this year and understanding and paying attention to because this didn't happen last year. If Mo Sider has a game like that last year, do the Red Wings lose by three or north of five would be the question. They got a point in overtime instead, though. Um, You know, Vili Husso wasn't bad. I don't fault him for many, if any, of the goals, but obviously... He didn't exactly stand on his head this game to steal a point. But the Red Wings still got a point. Look at all the things that went against the Red Wings this game. Playing a better team. Just an okay night from a goalie. A pretty, I won't call it bad, but a very un-Mo Sider-like night from Mo Sider. You know, Lucas Raymond didn't bring much offensively that game either. And they got a point. There's no reality where this happened last year if all those things happened in the same game. No, absolutely not. And, and you made a great point about they look different from period to period. Because after the first period, I had those kind of feelings that you had a lot of last season where you're like, oh, the Red Wings are going to get badly outplayed. You know how the rest of this night's going to go. A lot of people say they tune out. Uh, you pretty much can just watch the game and predict what's going to happen next. 17 goalie pulls, whatever it might be. But yeah, it was pretty jarring to to kind of rewrite what your expectations were as the, the game went on because they came out and then you look at the, the balance of how the game played out and you're like, they were much better in the second period and it kind of was a topsy-turvy back and forth. So it's a nice change of pace. Other like If an opposing fan is listening to this or a fan of another team or someone, a neutral observer is listening to this, they're going to say, man, these guys are celebrating a 5-4 loss where the goalie didn't stand on their head and they just said... You weren't there. Yeah. <laughs> you weren't there for the rock bottom. <laughs> no. You don't know what I've been through. and that, But that's exactly it. You're not wrong, Evan. Like it, it, This is a, a wild difference and what did we preach all season? Like this team is not going to go from zero to hero. There's no way that they're going to go from one of the worst teams in the modern era to a Stanley Cup contender. And they have to kind of learn to win iteratively. And this is part of that process is to hang in games where you're being outplayed by an all rights better team. This is a typical the floor has been raised type of performance we're seeing. We're not seeing the inability to come back. We're seeing a very professional um, NHL caliber team that can get back into games if given the chance. Prashanth, for all the positivity he brings, uh, put out a tweet uh, with a, a stat from last season. Last season, the Wings trailed in the final five minutes in 44 games. They were only able to force 
four overtimes of those 44 games, winning just one for a record of 140 and three. So yeah, this one was an eventual overtime loss, but the fact that they were only able to do it four times in 44 games and, you know, they got that kind of late tying goal, I don't think it's wrong to celebrate it. So uh, the game progressed as um, it opened as you would expect it to. And Adam Ernie sniped on the left side. <laughs> he has a sneaky shot, eh? Oh, he has a really good shot. Placement and, and decision as to when to shoot, I think, is a, another question. Um, and I think that line got, they got pummeled a little bit in my mind. They had a, outside of that two-on-one, they had a brutal first period. Uh, and then the game went where uh, LA took a 2-1 lead. Uh, Perron tied it in the second period uh, with a great shot. Like, that's the kind of shot where Perron won't miss it. If he gets everything he needs to on it, he's not missing that shot. And uh, Kublik had to take two attempts to pass across to him, and Perron just buried it on the one-timer. And then uh, after LA uh, went up 3-2, Perron again in the third period uh, scored this time on the power play. Um, three goals in three in three games for Perron. It's a good start, especially because you need you watch his shot kind of take some time to get settled in. There were some whiffs, especially on the one-timer, but as he finds his feel, as his teammates find what his wheelhouse is, hopefully it's as advertised. Um, and then, again, just not too long after, LA tied it. So, or sorry, LA took the lead, I should say, with Andre Kopitar. And then uh, we all know how the Red Wings ended up actually tying that game. But before we get into the, the Larkin heroics, let's talk about uh, some of the other performances. Uh, Elmer Soderblom in the Redwoods line. Actually, First, how did we open that game with Mick telling everyone, and I? this is the rules Mick's making up. He said it's not the Redwoods line, it's the treesome line. <laughs> You're the boss. <laughs> All right, Mick. <laughs> it, I, I almost... So if choked. we want to make a shirt of that, what <laughs> do we do? I'm afraid of, uh, I'm afraid of what people will uh, look up online, so I take no <laughs> responsibility for that, but... Uh, Elmer Soderblom and the Treesome line. What do we make of their their performance in this third game? It was good. Um, this game, I wouldn't call it spectacular. Um, outside of Soderblom deciding he wanted to play lacrosse while coming through the neutral zone on that one rush. Oh, my God. <laughs> it was definitely a high stick, I think. Oh, I don't even care. But he came down on Jersey. The puck kind of bobbled up in the air. He juggled it in his air multiple times with a stick up and over Jersey. Got around Dursey as a six foot eight behemoth and forced Dursey to take the penalty. This guy is Pavel Datsuk in more ways than one. It's it's incredible. Yeah. Um they did not look like they were overmatched by a good team. Um they got their chances. Obviously, Soderblom had that crazy sequence. I know it wasn't the exact line, but obviously Sunkist got the tying goal late. So obviously if he's on the ice in that situation, it speaks to what Lalone thinks of Oscar Sunkist. And you know, those who want to criticize him being on the end of the game, well, he scored, so Lalone was right. Uh, and yeah, again, these games are gonna happen where they don't generate a ton offensively, but they didn't get overwhelmed. They didn't look bad. And that's fine. That's hockey. You know, I had a coach back in the day who he was talking shift to shift, but it applies game to game. You don't have to win every shift. A shift where nothing happens is still a valuable shift, right? So if they had a game where nothing really happened for them at five on five, 
but also they weren't that means nothing bad was happening that's still valuable because it eats clock it shows that you can hang with your opponent and you know those are the games your your teammates can can do the lifting for you elsewhere in that game i i felt uh not that it was like a terrible performance from anyone really, but Detroit's defense in my mind, um, just the the kind of gaps and holes that still exist in this defensive court were a little bit on display. It was kind of one of those games where if, you know, Mo Sider isn't absolutely carrying the defense, they're kind of shown to be, the sum of their parts is still not a stellar NHL defense. And on the topic of Mo Sider, it's not like he looks bad out there by any means. Not at all. I, I, I wouldn't say that for a second, but I do think, and this has been pointed out by a few people, I do think at points it, it's almost like he's trying to do too much in the sense of offensive play. And it's kind of hampering him a little bit. It's almost like he's overthinking it or trying to force it or, or you know, look for a move or a play that's not there. And I don't know whether that's, you know, the other team has tape on him. They know to expect all the dipsy doodles and t- dangles and toe drags or because he's just trying to, elevate what he was doing last season and take it a step further and it's just not clicking right now he also has a new defensive partner so you don't know how that all plays in but in my mind we're still finding uh, cider still needs to to kind of find his game that we know he can perform at to start the season yeah he's been all right this year he's been no offensive juggernaut like olimata but <laughs> four points through three games he had eight all of last season like i said offensive juggernaut that's right um yeah him and him and Sherratt have their have had their struggles so far. Um, I know we were talking about it before we were recording. Uh, I was mentioning. I think it was, I don't know if it was right before the goal that led to the goal or if it was like a shift or two before, but where Sider had the puck wheeling out of the D zone on the right side in traffic and for some reason just tried an absolutely needless toe drag mm-hmm. that resulted in a turnover. And I, I think that might have actually been the play LA ended up scoring off of or the play that the turnover that led to the LA Kings goal. Um, but like rewatching that play, it wasn't just that it was a failed toe drag. It was that there was no need to do it. Like he could have easily just had a chip off the boards or, or, uh, could have turned around and cycled back. Like he had options there and a, you know, a defensive zone toe drag is almost never a good idea. Um, you know, even though he did find those, those times to do it last year, but that's one of the reasons that made him special. So, you know, I'd, I'd still prefer a player who tries things and has stuff like this happen every once in a while, but it, it very much looked like a play he wouldn't have thought of making last year, um, to your point of maybe overthinking it. And, you know, that just causes problems because, you know, Ben Sherratt's good at a lot of things, but Ben Sherratt's weak at a lot of things as well. Um, ben Sherratt's ability to close down plays along the wall and clear the front of the net and be physical and and make life hard on the opponents has been very obvious. Mm-hmm. He's come exactly as advertised in that sense. He is, you know, that that defensive zone eraser in a lot of scenarios. He also really struggles to move the puck. There have been a lot of needless Ben Schrott icings. There have been a couple Ben Schrott turnovers. So again, he has come as advertised. None of this is surprising. I don't know if that's why Mo feels like he he has to do more because that they they had a conversation about that and I think we even talked about that where Sider's got to be the guy on this pairing to transport the puck because you know even though Sherrod has his strengths this is very much one of his weaknesses easier to game plan against right yeah so it, it's complicated and there it's a very small sample size so I I don't know what 
is coming first year, the chicken or the egg? We'll find out in time. But it is a problem that needs to be resolved because it's reared its ugly head a couple times. Again, a couple does not equal a pattern, does not equal a trend, does not equal a habit. So again, no red flags, but I'll put this in the category of worth keeping an eye on. Yeah, it's it's so early and is the player coming into a sophomore season with a lot of expectations. And I'm sure Lucas Raymond feels a lot of pressure to perform offensively the same way we're elevated from last year too. And and that's hard to do. We talked about that in the off season, but sophomore slumps aren't a meme. They're not like a, a myth. They're a real thing and there's real reasons behind them. So uh, happened to Larkin, not pressing those buttons, not, you know, labeling anything, a slump or, or anything like that, but it, uh, it just needs more time to, to kind of settle in. Speaking of Larkin, four, three game, you know, winding down, how many minutes were there? There was about a minute and a half left. The The puck comes out of the LA zone in a way such that uh, there's a couple bad bounces, a misplay by a Red Wing or two, and Victor Arvidsson is bearing down in a very, very empty net with no one in front of him. Takes his time, controls the puck, one stick handle two, goes to put it back on his forehand, and Dylan Larkin comes in like a torpedo from behind, skating his ass off, dives forward, mid-dive, lifts Arvidsson's stick, and then knocks the puck away from him behind the net. Philip Hronik comes in with a uh, a sliding dive to block the puck from going back out in front, which isn't recognized enough either. But holy hell was that Dylan Larkin play amazing. And it only gets better because when you watch the close-up, he made that play through Arvidsson's legs. He dove with his stick through Arvidsson's legs, stick-checked him, and knocked the puck away and pulled his stick back out from between his legs without taking a penalty. And it's not that no penalty was called and they should have. He did not take a penalty. The more I watch it, the less it makes sense. He should have poked that puck into the net or tripped Arvidsson. How did he do neither? If Pavel Datsuk did that, that would be on his, you know, top 10 moments that weren't goals highlight reel. Like, the that is one of the most Datsukian plays I have seen since Pavel Datsuk graced this ice for the Red Wings. That is going to go on Dylan Larkin's career highlight reel, and I, I don't think it's dramatic to say that that's one of the, the plays of the year, and we're just a few games into the season. How That's going to be the defensive play of the year, because how, no. how do you beat that? You can't. As a player, how do you beat a defensive play like that? It's literally a goal, but he pulls... I don't even know what to call it, out of nowhere to save the goal. And after that play, this is my first really indication where I am where I had that the feeling that this team is different. Mm-hmm. Because I don't know if, I can't be the only one who, when I saw him make that play, and I saw the puck go behind the net, and I saw Hironic b- block the pass in front, and then I saw the Red Wings eventually regain possession, I just, I had this thought in the back of my head, I'm like, they're tying this. They're going down and they're scoring. And sure enough, 40 seconds later, Oscar Sundkiss ties it. Like, these are the little things. Like, I know I talked about it, little things earlier, but like, these are the things. That sense, that feeling, that confidence, that, okay, our captain just made the play of the damn year. Let's not make it for nothing. That's exactly it. It seems like it's... Uh... Like you're like, that doesn't translate to, to, to good hockey. One play down the ice doesn't lead to the goal, but the energy and the emotion and the, 
it's a different team. The Red Wings with how much they lost and how much they lost like clinically and there was almost a loser mentality with how they approached the games and how games got away from them. They weren't doing that last season. I don't think you're wrong, Brad. There's a different feeling. You could hear it in Ken's call of the play. Both the call of the the Larkin uh, heroic defensive play, the the heroic stop after, and then Sunquist's goal. Like that's those are the goal calls of a team that actually have that are giving the fans something to believe in. We were ready to walk away from that LA, LA game, saying not the worst game. They hung in there though, and uh, there's some good draws, but ultimately it's a game they deserve to lose. And now we're talking about how the Red Wings, one or two plays, were the difference between them getting a point and not, and. <sighs> It's just a different feel of a Red Wings team. Yeah, Victor Arvidsson just cost the Detroit Red Wings a few extra bucks in the Larkin <laughs> contract <laughs> negotiation. So Steve Eisman is not thrilled on that. Yeah, uh, Larkin's reps from CAA are just going to walk in with that gif looped. Just those 15 seconds. You know what, man? Get your money, Dylan. If he's Good gonna, time to do it. <laughs> if he's going to play like that all year and make those plays, get your money, dude. Get that Barzell money. And maybe even a little bit more. We'll talk about that later on, the, the salary cap. But yeah. And like you said, Brad, 40 seconds later, Sunquist uh, got the puck in front, tied it. And, you know, some people might say, why was Sunquist on the ice in a, a must score situation? Planted his butt in front, took the puck, spun around, put it in far side on uh, on the LA goalie. So it worked. I thought uh, Moritz Sider did a great job when the puck exited the zone, fending off two LA players to, to break up the play trying to push the puck down to the Red Wings and transitioned it right back to the forwards. And that really ultimately led to the Sunquist goal. That was just another critical part of that entire sequence. And uh, how many years have we seen Red Wings left hand, left side defenders never, ever make that play ever? It, it was, it was a, a work of art. Ultimately, of course, they ended up losing in overtime and, I don't think that goal can be blamed on Heronic, but um. yeah, it's one of those tricky ones. It's because you can kind of argue both ways. If Heronic replays that play exactly as he did a hundred times, it might not go in again at all. But also on a two on one, you know, one knee, one foot's not the best way to play it. Like laying out on your stomach's better because then your moment you ha- you have more of a seal to the ice and then if it does hit you your momentum takes you beside the net um whereas obviously when it's your skate and your knee the I've puck- almost that- never seen a defenseman take a two on one trying to break up the sh- the passing lane like that yeah I- but he was in an awkward position and then you could kind of fault him for positioning a little bit because he I think if he would have went down they would have just skated by him but he was so close lane. to the he was so close to the goal line at that point. If he goes down, LA, I don't know how far back the next Red Wings defender was, but if Heronic goes down at the right time and plays that right, LA's only play is to go around the net. Which, again, I'm not saying that the way he played it was like egregious and it was all his fault and he's the reason he lost. No, it was still a fluke. Like it's still, he still broke up the pass. It just took. I think it actually took two weird bounces, like off his foot, off his knee, and then into the net. Yeah, so skipped into the net. I'm not lucky. I'm not going to sit here and say, "Oh, Heronic completely bungled that. He's awful. He should never play it like that." That's was what it, I'd use my burner account for. Yeah, <laughs> was it? It's at Brad Crisco. Yeah. yeah, was it the best way he could have defended that? No, but was it the worst way he could have defended it? Also, no. Yeah, 
I think just standing on his skates would have probably been the worst way of handling it. He tried to make himself big, take away an angle with an unorthodox position. Just didn't work out. That's hockey. Yeah. And Brad, you're completely right. He ended up there because his initial positioning wasn't. It it was off by finer margins, but based on he was going to run into Huso and he tried to time it based on the the LA forwards um, basically timing of his pass or whatever it was and just kind of did a little half stutter. He caught himself in a in a formation where he was like, "Ah, if I had another choice right now, I wouldn't have one knee down on the ice, but here we are. So you played it out a few more times. Maybe Huso stops that weird, awkward bouncing puck, but it is what it is. Um, he'll practice it, and you know he he probably won't make that mistake again. Anyhow, that's uh, that's the Red Wings' first loss of the season. Came in overtime. Larkin saved them a point. I know a lot of people were saying the Red Wings are going to make the playoffs by one point, aren't they? I sure hope you're right. Well, Florida's uh, definitely sinking like a stone. Woof. And Ottawa's not exactly lighting the world on fire. Yeah, Ottawa is uh, one and two. And Florida's two and one, but Florida's they're going to have some defensive goals. They're going to need their goaltending to come up big. But that's uh, that's which is good because they're paying their goaltending about fifteen million dollars. It's almost Evan's salary. That's right, just for one position. So Detroit uh, doesn't play again uh, until Friday night, eight thirty p.m. Eastern at Chicago. That's uh, at the United Center, and then Sunday they have a five p.m. Eastern game in Detroit at the LCA. Uh, after which uh, we'll be recording a podcast, so we're going to be coming at you late Sunday night. But that is uh, how the Red Wings fared against the LA Kings. It's an interesting game, and I think one that's... um, We're going to get a lot more games down the middle like this this season. Yeah. I I think this game Friday night actually could be a pretty good indication of where the Red Wings are at. Uh, Coming off like a really emotional game, you know, having some pretty emotional news in the middle of the week but having three days rest and going up against one of the worst teams in the NHL. You have three days rest going up against the Chicago Blackhawks. I'm not, like, an NHL, even a bad NHL team is still hard to beat, but this is a game that they absolutely should win. Uh, so they're going to lose. Yeah. Well, we put it Damn out to the universe, yeah. <laughs> hey, in previous, this is why I'm, this is what I'm saying. In previous years, we know how this script goes. Yeah. This year, maybe it's different. <laughs> Okay, let's uh, let's talk about how that game worked out with uh, Bertuzzi's injury. So Bertuzzi, uh, they called it an upper body injury. Come to understand it's a broken hand or something similar. Uh, they called it four to six weeks, which is, a, I think, a better prognosis um, or, or a better timeline than I was anticipating. I was expecting six or more uh, weeks, so four to six, and then now we have Verona out indefinitely. So the way that translated into the lineup initially before the lines got jungled, uh, jumbled a bit against L.A., was um, Kubelik, Kubelik up on the first line and uh, Zadina fi- basically filling in for Verona on the second line. So Kubelik in for Bertuzzi and Zadina in for Verona. Things got mixed up in there and um, I don't think either of them had like phenomenal games or anything like that, but let's call it for what it is. This is a massive opportunity. Two top six forwards out for the Red Wings productive Verano probably the best shooting talent on this team and Bertuzzi doesn't matter whether you think he's the best shooting talent or not he scores a lot and produces a lot of offense this is Adina's opportunity to cement himself on the team in a way where I almost think it's a blessing and a curse because if he had just played in the bottom six and earned his way up if that happened and there's no guarantee that's one thing but this is now a whether he asked for it or not a four to six week and maybe more or less depending on how long Verona's gone for, 
audition for the Red Wings in a role where he is supposed to be playing, quote-unquote, supposed to be playing. This is exactly what everyone needs, I think, to evaluate Philip Zadina. I don't think it's necessary. Is it the most fair thing in the world? No, I think a lot more patience has been afforded to other players, but there's no excuses at this point. You have to seize this opportunity, and there are a ton of good players. There's four other good players, five other good players to play with in that top six. This is it for Zadina where he has to kind of show Call me dramatic from being dramatic that he belongs. Yeah. Um, if it is, in fact, a six week audition, that's a lot of games. Probably have a pretty good idea of, you know, we've we've had this couple years of is this what Zadina is or isn't? New coach, new system, premium role. There won't be much room for debate at the end of this if he's in the top six the entire time. Yeah. Look, we're. You and I, at least, I don't know where I, I, I hesitate to label you ever, Evan, but I appreciate that. Yeah. Evan or Brad, you and I are big Zadina apologists. Like let's call it for what it is. We would love for him to come out and this be his shining moment. And he sticks on this team. We are probably going to run out of arguments if this doesn't go his way. Yeah. Because we've spent two years saying, yeah, the production hasn't come, but he's you know, he does a lot of other things really well. And this LA game was probably another great one of that. He had, I'd call, I'd say one bad turnover, but I think you can probably give every Red Wings forward one bad turnover that game. He didn't generate a ton offensively, but he didn't look like he was a liability out there. He did make a couple pretty good plays and a pretty good passes. Um, but it was another game where for Zadine, I go, yeah, he was fine. The problem isn't, the the eye test with Philip Zadina. It's it's the counting stats. Yeah. Like when you watch the games, you're like, this guy's incredible. Like he absolutely is a top six or middle six forward in the NHL. But then you look at the stats 10, 15, 30 games later, you're like, where the hell is all the production? Yeah. At some point it does have to convert. Uh, we've had this conversation 10 million times. And it's probably unfair it, it definitely is unfair to me for me to say, like I just mentioned that this is like it. Like I'm not sometime at some point you have to be productive it's, it's or been, take on another type of role. Yeah, it's been two years of this, and now it's with a new coach, new system, better players to play with. Like the runway is he's getting near the end of the runway, essentially, is what I'm saying. And that isn't to say that if at the end of this runway, oh, he's still not putting up stats. Fire him into the sun, trade him. He's awful. He's garbage. Like, no, 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 no. Yeah. I'd say the door will be closed on him being a top six forward. I don't think he'll ever be a point producer. That's not to say he's not a good bottom six guy. Philip Zadina, as he is right now, is is at least a decent third line winger in the NHL. Like he's not gonna hurt the team. He's not bad. He's just not as productive as we'd like to be. But you know, there's a part of me, a, a pretty big part of me. That still thinks Philip Zadina could be a legitimate, you know, top six forward who produces. But that part of me slowly dies every game, like the one on LA where I go, yeah, he played fine. How many points he get? None. Like, there's only so many times you can defend it. Now, again, at the end of this, I'm not going to be telling petitioning for Zadina to get traded or saying he's a bad player. Just my expectations of what he could be, yeah, will be severely reduced. Even the even those who are hanging on to the last dregs of hope of. Uh, you know, how productive he can be, there needs to be some kind of internal reckoning. And and what does that translate into for the player? Like like you both have mentioned, you don't 
fire him away or trade him for nothing. It's just that he had now has a long mountain to climb to have the kind of uh, trust in a top six role or the but, expectation that he there is more to him. Let's also not forget he just signed a three-year contract extension. Right, exactly. So we'll see where we're at in four to six weeks. Personally, and I approach this, and I think this is my fault. I set this conversation off with a very negative outlook. I'm hopeful. There's you know, no better time than now. I do think there's more there. I'm not talking six overall pick, Philip Zadina. I'm not talking, you know, he's going to fill nets, and we all have egg on our face because of that one. But I'm talking there is more to Philip Zadina than what we've seen, and I think the solid play continued, even just from a few weeks ago, will translate into something more that we've seen. And I'm happy to recognize if I'm wrong, but I'm hopeful that that's there. In terms of Kubelik and other players, Kubelik, Valeno, like Soderblom, like this, this does give them some runway. Kubelik's roster spot was never in question. I think I thought he's been impressive for what he's been asked to do so far from preseason through now. Um, but he'll get more looks in the top six now. And in terms of you know Valeno, Suter, Soderblom, those are three different storylines. But you know Soderblom, even if he does regress the mean a little bit, those are more minutes for him. So it's still justifiable to keep him in the NHL, and I, he still looks like an NHLer to me. And uh, you know, it could win some playing time for a guy like Valeno who seems like he really excels with more playing time. He's a guy who needs that kind of ramp up to consistency to 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 stick in the NHL. Yeah, it's been a couple pretty uninspiring games for Valeno so far. So if ice time's what it is to get him right, yeah, well, here's his opportunity. Yeah. Okay. Let's take a look over at uh, Grand Rapids. Obviously, Grand Rapids was a uh, an important storyline for the Red Wings this season because there are players who are going to end up being there that folks didn't want to see go down. I think foremost of that would be Simon Edvinson. A lot of people may have thought he was ready for the Red Wings. In addition to that, you know that's where we may end up seeing Joe Valeno go down at some point. Um, and we saw Sebastian Cosa initially assigned there, assigned down to the ECHL for the Toledo Walleye, which just looked like a Paper you know, move. Well, you're getting him an extra rep, like he got a game in there, and so that was uh, it, it was just about maximizing his his starts. But as of right now, he's he's officially in his first uh, AHL start. But through two games, Simon Edmondson, a goal and three assists for four points. Jared McIsaac, three assists. Cross Hannis, a goal and an assist. And by all rights, Edmondson's look good in a lot of the ways that people were really focusing on. Um, I talked to uh, a friend of mine who who you know, watches a lot of the prospects games a lot more closely. His name's Beer League Chump or uh, Iserman season on Twitter. And he actually started a, a blog thing as well. So check that out. But uh, he mentioned that uh, the games that he's watched, both of them, he's not been beat one-on-one yet as handily as he may have been at the NHL level. Pretty much not at all, despite, you know, guys going after him. And uh, he's been a lot better at picking his spots, especially with his decision-making. So that's those are two things that we've, really kind of dialed in on with Edvinson is like, all right, you have this offensive ability, but when are you choosing to deploy? What pass are you making? When, what's the timing on that? So he's, it looks like this is a better spot for him to start his, his pro career and that it's, it's going well for him so far. Yeah. Cause like we talked about, it just seemed like he struggled with NHL pace. Um, so they dialed the pace back a little bit and he's excelling. This is what, I'm not going to say what was expected to this degree, but this is what we were hoping for. This is what you wanted by making that move. 
So now he can get used to the North American ice at what's probably a, a quicker pace and a faster game than the SHL because of, you know, the talent and um, the surface. And it's going well. And I'm sure he got like a lot of notes from the GM, from the coaching staff when he went down saying, hey, here's what we liked. Here's what we didn't like. Can you please execute and work on this while you're down there? So if he's picking his spots better, it's probably a pretty good indication that the Red Wings said, hey, don't just go whenever the hell you feel like it. Pick your spots. And if he is, it's good. So, you know, I don't think he's going to be finished the year with a hundred and something points at the pace he's at, but it's a really good sign. And, uh, you know, if he keeps this up, probably will, won't be long till we see him in Detroit. Maybe not like a couple weeks, but a few months. Yeah, maybe. So an in-episode update here, as we're talking about Edvinson and, and how he's doing in Grand Rapids, he's uh, actually one of many Griffins who are not playing tonight in Kosa's first game. So, uh, some intel here that it may be an Edmondson injury, an upper body injury, and not so much a healthy scratch, but uh, we'll have to get confirmation on that one. Um, and then Berggren's also not playing, Giovanni Smith, uh, Bratstrom, Sabrango, Pearson, Barton, etc. So all of that. And, so uh, who is playing? Well, uh, Evan, <laughs> you were supposed to be there, man. You're late. Yeah, Jesus, podcast took priority today, I suppose. Well, that's a nice change of pace. You got a lot of accolades, did you see online, for your performance in the last episode? A lot of people said that specifically. This was Evan's No, best. I didn't. Yeah. Well, it's probably best you don't delve too far <laughs> into the comments. Only read the first three. <laughs> After that, not so good. Yeah, but uh, it was a very pro-Evan comment section. They really loved it. As it buddy. should be. Can yeah. you filter by likes? <laughs> uh, yeah, so those are the those are the Grand Rapids scratches. So all of that and uh, Edmondson's not in tonight. So if they're just cycling through the defenseman, that's one thing. Uh, if it's an upper body injury, you hope he, you hope it's not uh, anything too serious. But let's talk about Sebastian Kosa. And as of right now, he's making his first pro start. Um, there was obviously some confusion, like I said before, when he was initially sent to the AHL and then assigned to Toledo in the ECHL that ended up just being for a tune-up game. How important is it for his career that he gets an opportunity at the AHL here? And by important, I mean there aren't many paths to historically to very successful goalies when they spent you know an extended period of time in the ECHL. So Kosa is getting a chance to show himself against Bratstrom and Oklahoma and Grand Rapids. Oh, it's important. Um first and foremost from the obvious standpoint, he needs to get pro reps. Mm-hmm. This is different from the WHL. These are I don't know what it's called man-sized shots. Like these guys are going to really really test them and not only from you know a quality of shot but bigger stronger players battling for ice in front of him he's got to pick his um i don't know how goalies phrase it his sight lines better he's got to transition across the ice quicker crisper more efficiently you know he has less time to make up for his mistakes if he overcommits on a play and slides out of the crease like you know, just as the players get better and faster, you really, really have to refine stuff. And we, I know we beat this point to death, death with players over and over again. I mean, we just talked about it with Edvinson. But this applies to goalies too. These little differences really do change the game um, for goalies, not just players. So, you know, it, it's super, super important for Kosa just to get used to it, to get the reps in, to get the feel for it, to get his timing down. Um, how he performs, I mean, 
that's tough to say because I don't exactly have high expectations in here. I don't expect him to walk in and put up a 930 and like a 1.5 GAA. I expect him to struggle a little bit. It's only natural when you jump levels like I was just talking about. So if he lets in a couple bad goals, it's not the end of the world. What I want to see from Kosa is, like I said, the the adjustment. I want to see him playing like an AHL goalie. I want to see him making those reads. And then as the season progresses and he gets more comfortable with what's in front of him, how does he adapt? Is he making more saves? Is his safe percentage going up? Does he look more comfortable in the net? There's a million ways to judge a goalie. None of them right or wrong, but the cumulative picture will tell, you know, a, a pretty substantial story about what we can expect from going forward. And again, when I say going forward, I don't mean like in three weeks, I expect him to look like a new goalie. No, this is goalies are, first of all, impossible to read in voodoo, but in all seriousness, this a years long project. Yeah. And if he comes out of the gate on fire, oh, fantastic. Just a bonus. That's, that is a pleasant surprise. So if anybody's sitting here expecting three shutouts in his first 10 starts and 930, you know, spoiler, it's probably not going to happen. As long as he doesn't look like he is completely like a fish out of water, we're happy. I remember uh, in Jimmy Howard's early days where he would get called up to Detroit and he would, uh, you know, he'd be hugging the post standing up and they'd just slide the puck right between his, his skates. Or he'd make some weird positioning plays and you're just like, you know, without knowing anything about goalie development, you, you have some concerns based on how this guy can progress. We all know that Jimmy Howard, at least for the, the best points of his career, progressed into a very sound goalie who at times was the carrying a pretty brutal Red Wings team to playoff appearances or at least close to. That wasn't the story of his entire career, of course, but um, at least for the best points of it, you saw how he developed. And and I just, I'm not making a one-to-one comparison between Kosa and Jimmy Howard, but in terms of what you were mentioning, Brad, about the development and how it's sometimes patient and not always stellar in lighting the world on fire. That is kind of what I'm looking for. Those corrections and professional kind of uh, adjustments to his game while still taking advantage of the best of his abilities, which is his athleticism. So patient, understanding, lot of runway, keep the expectations low. That's essentially how we have to approach a, a goalie development situation like Sebastian Cosa. It's not a guarantee that it's going to work out. It's not like wait forever and it's going to you know ripen in the best way. No, it could, could end up being a bust, but that's just how you have to evaluate it. Well, since you brought up Jimmy, Jimmy Howard was drafted in 2003 and was a Calder finalist in 2010. Yeah, he was like 27. That's an amazing turnaround, like in terms of time. People forget forget that quite often. Yeah, he had like a wife and four kids and he was uh, nominated for Rookie of the Year. Half the age of Michael Bunting. You see, I was going to make fun of a, a Brad having a wife and kids and having no Calder nominations, but I do like uh, the bunting joke better. That was bad. You know what? It was more for the camaraderie of the show. You took the high road. I was about to take the low road because I was, you know, talking to Brad. You're welcome. Sorry. Terrible. Okay. Uh, let's jump over here to uh, some interesting news out of the NHL. The Board of Governors meeting happened and uh, quite a bit came out of it, but I think one of the most notable things is apparently the players are almost done paying back their debt in escrow to the owners. So we're getting rid of the jersey ads, right? Uh, moving board ads? 
Well, right. I have some comments on that in a second, and I think this was a, this was somewhat of a calculated statement. But uh, Gary Bettman said there's a possibility, not a guarantee, but it may happen where uh, the players completely or at least reach a target to, uh, to erase their escrow, escrow uh, balance with the owners. And uh, that obviously came about, the long and, and short of it is that over the pandemic, the players didn't take as big of a hit on their salaries uh, based on how much NHL revenue dropped because of the pandemic. And in essence, they just agreed to pay the owners back over a period of time. Um, and so until they clear that balance, they're not going to be raising the salary cap because that's more money for players and that's counterintuitive. So with how much revenue is the word vibrant has been used, how much the revenue is vibrant this year because of things like, you know, increased fan attendance, raised prices, $40 sure. popcorns and two pops. Yeah. Um, Jersey ads, arena, uh, digital board ads, things like that. Apparently they're close to uh, erasing that escrow and the cap instead of going up 1 million may go up as much as 4 million this off season alone. That's massive. We were talking about that not happening for years. Like we were talking about that cap not going up $4 million until 2024, 2025. And so for that to happen two years ahead of schedule and what that means for two years, three years, four years out, that could be huge. That's half a Tyler Bertuzzi. The Red Wings have Bertuzzi and Larkin right now, and they're going to have to uh, uh, figure out Larkin or sorry, Cider and Raymond um, before the end of next season, right? That's 25% of Mo Cider. It's not necessarily only a blessing, but it certainly isn't an advantage to a lot of teams in Detroit with the amount of major contracts they have coming up in the next 24 months. It's going to make things interesting. The Leafs will love that too. Oh. So will Vegas. Yeah. Vegas can sign maybe a couple more superstars. You almost don't want it to happen because Detroit loses a lot of leverage over those teams, but teams have just kind of buckled down. They've stopped doing anything because they're up against the salary cap because they know it's coming. So at this point, like it's hard for a GM to pull the wool over another GM's eyes and says, oh, I'll lend you my salary cap space because they're going to say, well, you only really need to hold out for like seven more months or whatever it is, right? Some teams, that's a big deal though. Like there's teams who are in win now and it has to happen this season kind of thing. Well, there aren't a lot of teams that have to happen this year, but they're thinking this year or next are the is when the window starts to close. So for some teams, yeah, that is definitely still a big deal, but um, it gives them a lot more breathing room post this season. What does this mean for Detroit's two current negotiations? Larkin and I, we haven't heard any news of negotiation with Bertuzzi, so we don't know where that's at, but Bertuzzi as well. Not much, if I'm being honest, um, because the length of these two contracts in all likelihood were not going to be short term. So the cap going up one year earlier when we all pretty much knew the cap was going to go up, I don't really think impacts a whole hell of a lot because the Red Wings, the way this would impact the Red Wings specifically is if those two contracts would put the Red Wings in a salary cap bind next season. But Eisenman positioned them in a way they wouldn't have been in a salary cap bind next season. Yeah, of course, it buys them more flexibility, a little more freedom. They can maybe be a little more aggressive in the short term. All positives, don't get me wrong. But with Larkin and Bertuzzi specifically, these are five, six, seven, eight-year contracts. One year does not make... One year with a $3 million salary cap increase-ish 
does not make a difference. I think it's there's two approaches to this in my mind. One, if your eyes are mending and you're saying, I really didn't want to cross the $9 million mark with Dylan Larkin. And he has this new agency who's saying, hey, if Barzell got this, you can get this. And he's not really backing down. It makes you comfortable to move off what you were comfortable with prior. It makes you a lot more comfortable to kind of take that risk with the contract. No matter what your personal, you'll never say this out loud, long-term projections are on what is one of your most important players in Dylan Larkin. It also means the agents are going to come in there and say, hey, you have absolutely no excuse to be such a hard ass about your $8.85 million line or whatever it is. And don't think that you're going to run us like you did Steven Stamkos years ago because we know the cap is going up and we know that this money is going to be coming your way. So by all means, you know, negotiate, but don't put these arbitrary ceilings. We're not stupid. We know that the you're going to have the space. At some point, you just got to get your guy and ma- sign the contract. If you're going to nickel and dime over over a few hundred thousand dollars, which sounds r- ludicrous as norm- normal people. Um, not that you would know about yeah, that. Yeah, don't, pre- that don't pretend to be. I, I meant like you normal people. Um, what do you mean you people? <laughs> you normies and the unwashed. <laughs> hey, don't you lump me in with the unwashed. <laughs> uh, why sully your, your relationship with GM player and agent over that when you know the cap's going up that much, but you definitely also don't want to set a precedent of giving guys what they want because we've seen in Toronto when you just sign guys to big contracts, nobody takes a discount there. As soon as you sign Tavares to a, a contract, then you sign Matthews to the contract. Well, Marner's not taking a discount now. Um, Nylander looks like a steal now, but I mean, if it had been in reverse, I don't think he would have made as little, well, as little, once again, ridiculous, made the contract he's making. So you, Dylan Larkin's your captain, and you're fight, probably negotiating over a few hundred thousand dollars. I'm sure everybody's talking eight years. You, at some point, you just got to do it. I think if your optimistic take here, which is just a few hundred thousand dollars divide is where it's at, I think this gets done soon. You think it's millions? I would. It might be a divide as much as a million or more. They're, they're I mean, this. we don't know either end of the, the numbers, but we're just basically guesstimating based on other data points. It might not even be AAV. It could be clauses. It could be term. There's a lot of variables in here. and King Suite at every road hotel they go to? In, in reality, what it probably is, is a little bit of each. Mm-hmm. Eisenman's offering 8.9. Larkin's asking 9.4. Eisenman wants no, like no clauses in it. Larkin's going, I want a full no move. Like that's the reality of these negotiations. So they'll probably settle somewhere in the middle on AAV. They probably agree on term and there'll probably be some kind of modified no move clause in there. Maybe Dylan Larkin's really big into skydiving and it's Steve Eisenman's adamant that that clause is in the contract and he says, no, thank you. Maybe Larkin beat Eiserman in a round of golf this past summer, and Eiserman's just really <laughs> bitter about it. That's what Evan would do to us. If either of us ever just like got super... If Evan was golfing with us and either of us got an ace and he was there... I'd be happy for you, but then I'd punch you right in the, <laughs> right in the back. <laughs> I, would, I would take the punch in the back rather than deal with you being pissed off for the whole summer. I wouldn't be pissed off. I would be sad that I still don't have one, but <laughs> I wouldn't be upset that someone else gets one. That's very genuine and pure of you. 
You know it's, that? It's just crazy to see one now that I've witnessed one in my life. Okay, very quickly here. Um, NHL, I, I know last episode we talked about how we're only a few games in, but there are some teams very much on the hot seat. Vancouver has given up multi-goal leads for losses in their first four games. They are 0-3-1. All of those games, they were up by multiple goals. That's staggering. That is actually insane. That is a team that has fought against the prescribed opinion of they need to tear down or the core that they don't have is good enough or whatever it might be. They're going off of a lot of what's still left over from the Jim Benning era, uh, and they decide to go all in. And they signed JT Miller to a big money long-term contract. This is a team that's not you know about to tear it down, so expectations are high. Four games does not a season make, but Bruce Boudreaux wasn't exactly the most secure in his job leading up to it. Is he the first to go? It's looking like a very strong candidate right now, although... Did you see that JT Miller stat after game three, Mm-mm. after their third game? The, in those three games, the Canucks gave up eight goals. JT Miller was on the ice four. How many goals do you think he was on against? Eight. All eight. Oh, it's not ideal. Right after coming off that contract. And I mean, credit to JT Miller. Like, he owned up to it, he brought up that stat. In his post-game presser saying, you know, I've been on for all eight. Like, can't happen. Um, I'll but, say whatever for however many millions he's making a year. Yeah, honestly. Uh, does that contract even kick in yet? I think it doesn't kick in for another year. That's exactly right. And I feel like he's already 35 years old. So <laughs> I'm, sh- I'm sure this is going to go well. He's not that old, but no, his, his contract doesn't kick in until next season. It's an $8 million contract, and he's 29 years old right now. <laughs> oh, my God. Anyways, um, when you... Factor in this start with all the weird animosity it seemed there was between management and Boudreaux uh, in the early in the off season. This is shaping up to be the recipe for the first coach gone, but I believe the Canucks are still paying Travis Green however much money three million something like that something like that. So I don't know if the Aquilinis are going to be keen about on paying three coaches at once. So that might may as well just rehire Travis green and bring somebody else on. And there you go. Yeah. Money problem solved. But yeah, Vancouver, this is the ultimate dumpster fire start to the season. Well, we'll see how the Toronto situation unfolds because if they find themselves, you know, having entire stories written about post-game pressers by a coach and then, you know, Mitch Marner's Fortnite collab with Nick Merckx or whatever the stupid controversy is in Toronto right now. They better hope that their goaltending stands up for them and, and that Samsonov and Kalgren are uh, a good solution for them. Otherwise, that that's another coach. Sheldon Keefe is on the hot seat. Well, it's not like they lost to Arizona or anything. Oh, man. I saw some stat that Arizona has taken a point from Toronto in Toronto since t- 2002. That's correct. <laughs> How can you not be romantic about hockey? Oh it's, my God. <laughs> it's not even like that was LA or Chicago or one of the teams who was really good for a lot of that stretch. Arizona was bad for the, the entirety <laughs> of that stretch. Steve, I, I know we played a, a clip of Steve Dangle last episode, but his, his latest LFR, the first five minutes had me in stitches. I texted him after. I was like, that was phenomenal. And I'm so sorry. I hope you got some sleep. He put it well. Uh, they've been losing to the Coyotes since they were called something else. <laughs> they had a different name. 
the last time they were able to win in regulation at home against them. That is unbelievable. Ch- children who were born that year are there's kids in their playing 20s. in the NHL. <laughs> oh man. That's uh Ottawa is another one. DJ Smith is going to have to make sure that that team produces because they had a lot of hype coming into the season. One and two again. They looked better last night. Yeah, it's you don't want to write off a whole season that early, but if you get off to a really bad start and things don't come together the way they were projected, he'd he'd be the first one on the chopping block. But I agree, they did look better. Teams need to... The teams that have knee-jerk reactions seem to be the ones that fare the worst. Mm. Florida makes knee-jerk reactions all since Toronto got a point off the Coyotes in 2001. Um, I find like when teams kind of just hold the ship, like they did like in Tampa with John Cooper and that core for until they got over the hump, making knee-jerk reactions based on three, four games played in the season is, I mean, if you're gonna if you're gonna tank your season, you may as well do it this year, but. Making yeah. those sorts of judgments after four games is probably not a recipe for success, if that's what you're going for. Two things. One, it's not like Vancouver's management and ownership has a history of making knee-jerk reactions, so they'll be fine there. Two, Connor Bedard North Vancou- from North Vancouver. Just saying. Bring him home. He's coming home. <laughs> but anyways, I'm all here. I'm, I'm entirely here for knee-jerk reactions, so we all agree Philly's winning the cup, right? I'm in. I, you don't understand... <laughs> I won't. I won't put my. I won't bet against Gritty. Just like ignore their thirty nine percent expected goals percentage at five on five. They're three and zero, oh, baby. Let's roll this Torts train. You think Torts even knows what that means? No Brad? chance. <laughs> Absolutely no chance. And let's ignore the fact that Carter Hart's on a heater to end all heaters right now. Three and zero. Oh. That's what they need from Carter Hart. Yep. Okay. Um. Very quickly, and I am going to do this quickly because I know there's going to be more on it next episode. The uh, reverse retros have been teased. They, By the time you're listening to this, they've probably been released officially. What I will say is that without confirming anything, we're probably looking at something with... Black and red? Black and red. So those of you who uh, have, sworn, have always wanted black or uh, never wanted it, it's going to be a very polarizing topic. So black and red is, seems like what is what it's going to be. Again, not final confirmation, and based on what I've heard, it's going to be a rendition of a um, a unique, previously loved classic. So there are leaks out there. I'm sure you've seen them. Uh, you can find them, but until the team officially releases it, I'm not going to speculate or we're not going to tear down how much how good it looks. But uh, summarized, I don't think it's going to be as boring as last season's or last. Uh, Just tell me how to feel because I'm not a Jersey guy. Yeah, you'll know in a day. Somebody tell me. And then you'll get 30 minutes of free air to talk about your specific thoughts about how you feel about every thread. Yes. Because I'm, I'm sure Brad doesn't have any feelings. You you got to save him for Sunday. I'm sorry. I haven't said a single thing. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. We're going to uh, take everyone to overtime to wrap up this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast. Overtime is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. Patreon.com slash Winged Wheel Podcast if you want to support the show. They're the reason why we're able to do everything we're able to do. Um, Winged Wheel Podcast Night at the LCA, the uh, Make You Redmond flannels, uh, everything else that we continue to to hopefully improve the show with um, is all because of our patrons. Uh, and they get a lot of benefits. They join the Winged Wheel Podcast Discord. We are giving away tickets, two tickets to every Red Wings home game this season, and the majority of them are going to patrons. We just gave away 
uh, three or a couple to start the year. And there's going to be another one, of course, for the uh, Sunday game, um, plus a million other things. So winged or patreon.com slash winged wheel podcast. All right. First question. Eh, I guess it's, uh, we're almost there, but, uh, Bustin. No, I'm not reading that one. I'm just going to say Bustin says, uh, a question for all three of you in honor of Halloween season. What's your favorite scary movie? Oh man. So it doesn't have to be like a Halloween theme movie, just any scary movie. Yeah. Any scary movie. Okay. Th- this is going to be a weird answer. One, because the first time I watched it, I think I was a teenager and two, because of just how unsettling and eerie the whole movie was without being a traditional horror movie. Zombiever? No. <laughs> <laughs> Do you guys remember Signs? Yes. 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 The two scenes, and you know the two scenes I'm talking about. Yes. Holy shit. I, I don't. The scene where they're watching the TV oh, at the kid's yeah. birthday party. Yeah, yeah, And yeah. then the scene with in the pantry. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that was a surprisingly good scary movie. People sleep on M. Night Shyamalan. I think his stuff is terrific. He's either Grand Slam or complete whiff and a strikeout. Yeah, there's no in between. With that's absolutely a, none. You know me. That's how I like to live with the things I consume. <laughs> it's all or nothing. Uh, I signs is a really good answer, and I have to say that has to be my favorite because that scene still lives in my head. Um, another one that's especially oh, when you consider how just like little there actually is to those scenes. God, it is pure horror. Yeah. Um, Insidious, the first two acts of Insidious, I thought were really scary. Yeah, I can't watch that. <laughs> <laughs> it is, it does get ridiculous, as I find horror movies tend to. Um, I'm not a big horror movie guy. I, I do like a good one, and that one I felt was good for most of it. I would say my my first true experience was uh, The Exorcist. That is t- still terrifying to this day. If you have not watched The Haunting of Hill House or Haunting of Bly Manor, That'll get you going. That's for sure. Those are those are really scary. Uh, Brad Crisco, washed leader of the unwashed masses, says, "How much of Philly's hot start is Carter Hart, and how much is Torts coaching?" I'll just say it's far more Carter Hart than John Tortorella. That being said, I do think Torts is a good coach, and he he does seem to cut a lot of the crap out of whatever Philly was parading out last year in terms of systems and, and lapses. But it's mostly Carter Hart. I will say, like, look at what Sutter did when he came in and gave the Calgary Flames some discipline. All of a sudden, that was a team that was translating talent on paper to results on ice. So I do think there's something to basically a hard-ass coming in, giving them no inch, and uh, making them get their shit together. I think that's a delicate thing to do without burning out the team. And it often You're on the clock with that sort of uh, leadership. Yeah. It has an expiration date. But in terms of short-term results, I, I wouldn't take away too much from Torts. But yeah, I mean, the goalie will have the biggest impact for sure. Um, okay, uh, this one from Frank Stanley says, quick things. Uh, do we get Burt's new contract due to injury at a cheap cost or ship him out? I don't think the injury helps either of those things. The injury just complicates things, if not delays it. I think it leads, makes the shipping out more likely because Burt isn't going to want to take money off his contract for an injury and Eisenman's going to be probably a little bit more nervous to sign a guy with another long-term injury. Uh, two, how bad will the wings screw up the reverse retro? 
Well, it depends who you ask. TBD. No Subje- comment. Subjective thing is subjective. Brad has no comment. Three, you guys are amazing. Keep up the great work and thank you for everything you do for the community. Thank you. I appreciate that, Frank. Uh, four said, I was at the home opener and heard Ken ask Ryan if he'd like to shower before the interview. Saw Prashanth chuckle and pinch his nose. Did he actually? <laughs> no. But that's, oh. <laughs> that's a hysterical <laughs> comment. I'm happy I don't pre-read these because <laughs> sometimes I get got like that, but that was good. Uh, this one from Rose, and it's something that we we talked about. Uh, I know it was one game where Sider didn't look fantastic, but should we be worried about the sophomore slump? I was able to pick him up in my fantasy league. He was my first pick, and I picked ninth, so I was sure he's going to be gone already. I'll still call that a W no matter what his season looks like. Also, Mickey was mentioning how players are locking on Raymond this season. When do you think he breaks out? Sophomore slump... Look at the combination of factors that leads to a sophomore slump and understand that both him and Cider or him and Raymond are going to have a tougher time this year. And in terms of players locking in on Raymond, I mean, that is going to affect Raymond a lot more than it would Cider, right? Raymond doesn't have the size to fend them off. Um, and he's going to be, you know, in the corners and they're going to be deleting his space as we saw them start to do last season. A good player. Has, is very talented and is able to translate on that, that on the ice. A long-term great player is able to adjust as his opponents adjust to him and constantly keeping keeping them on their toes. So, um, Brad, you mentioned this last episode. Raymond has a very high hockey IQ, and he kind of presents as a player who is able to adjust. It's just about, it's very hard to do at the NHL level as a kid. Yeah, I wish I had a good answer to this question, but the the true answer here is nobody knows. Nobody, and only time will truly tell. It could be a week, it could be a month. I mean, I don't think either of them have looked bad this year. Um, they're just adapting to more pressure being put on them by the opponents. And yeah, it could be a week, could be a year. Nobody knows. Uh, Brian Vashis is looking at the ESPN top 100 players. Dylan Larkin is at 42 and Mo Siders at 38. Do you agree with those rankings? Feels about right. It doesn't seem too egregious in either direction. I think uh, I, I know a lot of people will, will protest Dylan Larkin being as far down as 42, but center's not the only position and a lot of teams are stacked where there's they have a lot of really good players. So those rankings are obviously arbitrary and there's variance in any direction, but yeah, that, that, that doesn't seem too bad for me. Uh, there's uh, one more and I missed part of it, uh, a previous question, but how or does how many Selkie votes is Larkin getting? And that's from the previous Brad Crisco commenter. Does Dylan Larkin get Selkie votes this season? Way too early to say, but, you know, we've talked about how perception and moments and highlights affect voter mentality. We talked about it more specifically with Zegris in the Calder conversations last year because he had all the highlight reel plays that Mo Sider didn't. So even though the voters rightly got it with Mo Sider, for a good chunk of the season, Zegris was getting the attention. Larkin has that highlight now. And he got it early. So now people will be paying attention. So do I think he wins uh, the Selkie this year? No, because Patrice Bergeron still exists. But could he get some legitimate contention? Yeah. He, all the all the makings of a Selkie contender are there. If he finishes with like a close to point per game production and continues to 
occasionally have a big highlight. It doesn't all have to be like the play he made. He's going to get votes. He'll get votes from within the Detroit voting block of that award or, or anyone kind of close to them. So yeah, I, I think he'll, it just really depends on production. Same thing as Norris. Is that, does that make sense where a player has to be good offensively to be given a defensive award? Hmm. Jury's out. It's, it's a big debate, but he'll put himself into the conversation if he's productive. If he has a 40 point season, the conversation won't be, is Dylan Larkin going to get Selkie votes? It's going to be something different. All right. Uh, we're going to wrap up this episode of the Wingwheel podcast. We're going to be back with you late Sunday night post game. Uh, there's a 5 p.m. game again uh, at in Detroit. Uh, so we'll be uh, recording after that. Uh, and again, we'd like to thank all of our listeners. Uh, when you are old, thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, there's a lot to come. If you haven't yet, get your tickets to Wing Wheel Podcast Night at the LCA, DetroitRedWings.com slash WWP. Uh, and of course, actually very quickly here, I want to uh, promo something that's coming up uh, for the Jamie Daniels Foundation. They are hosting a Hot Stove Stories uh, breakfast Q&A and discussion with uh, Mick and Ken. So that's Ken Daniels and Mickey Redmond. In addition to that, there's going to be Chris Osgood and Chris Draper there, uh, as well as NHL referee Wes McCauley and former ref Daniel Halloran. Uh, I'll be there doing my best to keep them all apart. Uh, but you know the conversation that gets going with those guys. It's it's going to be a great time. So uh, check out the link in the description to get your tickets for that event. That's on Thursday, December 1st. Early morning breakfast, 7.30 a.m. at Motor City Casino in Detroit. More to come on that. Uh, I'd like to thank all of our listeners again, our Patreon supporters, our name-level sponsors on Patreon, Arjun Shanker, Eves Bartels on behalf of the Sarah Grand Foundation, Aikfer, <laughs> Ryan's receding hairline, Nick Perks, Terry Driver, the number 69, Crying Ryan Hannah's Banana Slam of Jamathong, Matthew M. Rice, Croner's Left Knee, Ben Hurd, Bingo Bango, The Flaccid Wango, Brandon M., Carl Bertin, and Anna Luski. Look, if I had to say the tree sum on air, that one's fine. <laughs> Chimmy, Chris Ball, Chris P., Citizen High Five, Connor Scovey, Coyote Season Tickets in Tempe, Derek Enstam, DJ Denton, Elite First Scoring Line, Scott Dork, Sleeve McDykel, and Bobson Dugnut. Give Blood Fight Probert, Hassam al Qasem, Jay Gollum, Jacob Turner, Kalen Wood, Kevin James, King Tone, Marcus, Matt McKay, Nedelkovich, goalie number one, Nicholas Fritz, R.A., Ryan Hanna, Ryan Hanna the Unshowered, Ryan Hubbard, Scott Martin, The Podcasting Couch, Zachary Rogers, General Andy Bohan of the Cheesebag Army, Sam Bankson, Ace of Base, Frontman, Jonas Berggren, Adam, I wish I could finish like Ernie, Adam Rose, Antonio Gracias, Babe Landeskog, Ben Barron, Brian Vasha, Bustin, Connor Leighton, uh, Darren Fick, Dave W., Disciple of Lars, the Prophet of the Towering Behemoth, Philip Zadiz Nuts, James Laporte, Jeffrey Dun Dun Dun, Jeremiah Dobo, J.M. Rhapsody, John Evans, John Ingalls, Josh Yelton, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Linda Hull, Logan Burgos, Matt S., Maximilian, me, Philip Zadina's Confidence in the Flesh, Melissa Erickson, O. Ophelia, Papa Woody, and Thick Rick. Thank you all so much. We'll talk to you Sunday night. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.